Amen. Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome. My name is Travis, uh, lead pastor here at Antioch. So thankful to uh, have you here today to worship together. What a, what a joyful time in God's presence uh, to sing about who he is, to declare who he is, also to be in his word together. And uh, today we are beginning a new season, a new series before we head into the Christmas season and the series that will accompany uh, our, our Christmas time. And we're, we're really excited about what God's speaking to. Us. We feel like this, this series will really um, be, in, in some ways, a, a launching pad for us into what God is speaking over our church and where he's leading us into the new year. Uh, we believe that there's many things that God's been speaking around what it looks like to walk with him and carry a different spirit. And, and so we're going to be speaking about that over these next few weeks in, in some different ways. And I want to begin um, just real quick by, by giving an idea of what this is about by reading Psalm 63, just a section out of that. Beginning in verse 1, you have David, who would later become king, who's not yet king, writing this psalm when he's in the, in the desert. And so it's a difficult season of life. Uh, there's a lot of anxiousness, a lot of fear, a lot of fleeing. It's a, it's a difficult time, and yet he's recalling the faithfulness of God. So let me just read this for us real quick here together. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary I've beheld your power and your glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. And so what we have here is David in a difficult season of life, but reminding himself uh, recalling the nature and character of God as, a, as, as something, as a source, as a place of truth that will sustain him in, in and through his life, even in the difficult seasons. I've beheld your glory. I've seen your beauty in the sanctuary. And so I will seek you in, in this dry and, and, and weary land. I will continue to seek you. See, he's tasted something of who God is that has changed the way he looks at life, the way he walks walks through life, uh, it's, he's carrying a different spirit. And he's teaching us just a small, uh, in a small sample size here what it looks like to carry that spirit in any and every season of life. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, what it looks like for us to, to carry a different spirit. Uh, another an analogy that, that, we've, uh, that, that God has highlighted over the last uh, several months and even last year has been the, the imagery of a torch and carrying a torch, this flame which we see biblically uh, is, is often a picture for us of the Spirit of God. And it's uh, this picture of us carrying a flame in life, that we, and we steward the, th the flame. We guard the flame. We don't uh, want it to, to, to be snuffed out. Uh, we don't want it to grow dim. And so what does it look like for us to carry this, this torch of, of God into the world around us because of what we've experienced in Him? How do we allow that flame to burn brightly? 
How do we allow it to affect the world around us? Uh, and how do we stay near to it and not leave it uh, behind somewhere along the way? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at a few things like, like holiness, what it looks like to be set apart. We're going to look at staying in step with the Spirit of God, as it talks about in Galatians 5. We're going to look at the, the secret place in God, what it looks like to, as Jesus would get away and get alone with God and why that's important for us in seeing this torch remain bright. And so today, to begin uh, our series, I had the privilege of introducing a guest that we have with us. Uh, Fred Nelson is the pastor of the Antioch in Houston, Texas. Um, he has become a good friend over this last decade as we've gotten the opportunity to share life together. He is also on our board of advisors for us as a church. And so our, our board comes in annually and uh, speaks into the life of our church, and it's a group of people that uh, we have asked to, 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 to be an authority for us, that we would uh, come under and submit to their, their leadership and experience, and so we have loved his servant leadership of our church, and so I'm excited to, to welcome to the stage this morning, and if you will do the same with me, Fred Nelson. So come on up here. So glad to have you. All right. Hey, thank you, uh, Travis. Hey, great to be with you all uh, this morning. This is a joy. I have been uh, in and out of uh, Phoenix the last couple of years, a few, full, a few times, but this is my first time on a Sunday morning seeing a lot of your faces here together, some familiar faces uh, that I see in the crowd. And uh, man, prayed for you. Thankful for the testimony of God that comes from this church of, of uh, deliverance, the power of God, the presence of God, the sending out of God into the nations, into new church plants. It's just the testimony coming from Antioch, Phoenix is just God is alive. He's here. He's moving. And it's just really exciting for me to just to jump in and be a part. Uh, it feels a little bit like family to me jumping in. Now, I, I haven't met most of you here in the room, but I but I walked in the door this morning. First people I saw in the lobby were, were Pete Klein and Scott Robinson. And uh, these are guys that uh, many moons ago, we were in young adult ministry uh, together. And uh, man, it's just a joy seeing them. And as Travis said, um, the last eight years, we have been um, in a pastor's round table together. So a group of Antioch pastors getting together once a year, sharing our hearts, encouraging and supporting one another together. And have just grown uh, just so much to respect and to love uh, Travis and Joy and their family and really getting to know the rest of the team along the way. It's, uh, it's just a delight uh, to be here. Um, I want to introduce you to my family here. So there's a little picture of, of where we are. So uh, that is my, uh, my beautiful wife, Becca, standing out right there in the middle. Um, and I know you can't distinguish her between our two other daughters there, but she's the one in the green um, and uh, most beautiful person. I know we're celebrating 22 years in two weeks. So uh, uh, love her. Uh, five kiddos. Uh, Jake on this side is, uh, is 20. Noah is 19 on the other side. Lizzie 16. Jules 14. Jonathan is 13. All five of my kids are second degree black belts. Man, so we did not peg ourselves as the martial arts family. We didn't know if we believed in that, uh, you know, years, years ago. But there's this, this Christian-based martial arts uh, program that, that our kids have jumped into um, and uh, really been a great discipleship support for us. And uh, they're doing awesome and drama and baseball and 
church life and uh, man, no other people on planet that I'd love to uh, be walking with uh, than this crew. Um, so hey, again, it's, it's an honor for me to be here um, and share with you guys today. And uh, uh, I get to share with you this first message on carrying the presence of God and, and carrying this, this presence like a torch into a dark world that, that needs the light and the life of God that, that we're finding in him as we, uh, as we seek him together. And so we're gonna look at a story from the life of Daniel. We're gonna look at Daniel chapter six uh, today. And really, this, 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 uh, uh, if you've read through the book of Daniel, I'm sure you're familiar with a few of the stories. And here you'll be familiar with the one that I share today. Um, but uh, you know, Daniel is the story of a guy who is living in a foreign land. He is an exile. He is in an atmosphere where the world and the culture around him does not honor or fear or seek God. And so he is a citizen of a different country, of a different kingdom, with a different king, but he has been transplanted here as, a, as kind of a foreigner and an exile. And we look at the life of Daniel and we see how he lived faithfully to God in this foreign and fallen land. Now, hopefully it doesn't take too much of a stretch to see yourselves in that story that we are a people who are living in a foreign and fallen land. We are citizens of another kingdom, an eternal kingdom. The kingdom we seek is not a kingdom of this, of this world. We serve a different king and, and we're, we're about a different kingdom. And, and maybe that, that looks like for you, maybe some of you today, you kind of say, yeah, I kind of feel like a foreigner. Like, like some of you, like I, I kind of feel like a foreigner in my family. Some of you guys, you know, we're about to have Thanksgiving and pulling the family together. That's awesome for some of you. That's not so awesome for some of you. Feel kind of alone, feel different. Maybe you feel different at work, different at school. You know, it's just, we're living and, and certainly we, we zoom out wide and we, we think about things in our culture and directions things are going. There's not many people, no matter where you are politically, uh, not many people that think, hey, we're in a great place as a culture, <laughs> Right? We are citizens of a different kingdom serving a different king. And Daniel is a, is a picture, is a, is, a, is a life lived that is an example to us, but more than a life that we want to emulate, he really points us to the grace of God that he wants us to, um, to experience in our world. So let's look, um, begin here in, um, in verses three through five of Daniel chapter six, okay? So I'll just kind of kick off the story and um, just a little context here. So Daniel has been uh, living um, in exile for 70 years at this point. This is at the end of his life. He's probably like 85, 86 years old. Um, at this point, you know, you think of Daniel in the lion's den as like this little boy, you know, and no, he's like an old man, you know, older man that, that's there. So, so this story is really a culmination of a life lived in faithfulness and holiness. And this story kind of brings it all together. So in verse three, it says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Wow. At this, the other administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his contact of, uh, of, of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor 
negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis of charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So let's stop right there. So, um, so this is a moment of promotion for Daniel. Uh, Daniel had a tremendous favor with the Babylonian government when he first arrived. And now, the, now this Persian government that's in, in power, um, he has incredible favor and the king is promoting him over the whole kingdom. Like, like, like major promotion is happening here. And we see it because Daniel had so distinguished himself. Did you catch that? Distinguished himself. What is that? That idea of being distinguished, being distinguished from others. He, he was set apart. He was different. There was something unique about him. And when we talk about the idea of holiness, that's what we're talking about. Someone who has a set apart, a different life. Now, holiness certainly means a purity, a sense of innocence, you know, a godly character. You know, we'll talk about some of those things. But, but essentially what, what this idea of holiness means is just set apart from the world. How was he set apart from the world? It says he so distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities. Is everybody, anybody kind of giving you that comment for Adam? You have exceptional qualities today. You're, you're, you're a gifted guy. You're a good guy. There's things about you that are just um, par none, exceptional qualities. Now that's, that's a little odd thing. We're not really encouraging one another that way, are we? You know, but what, let's dig in here a little bit more. What does this mean? This word quality actually in the Hebrew is the word ruah, which is the word spirit. It's the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament. And this word exceptional means it's a standout, it's a distinguished, it's exceedingly great. One commentator calls it beautiful. So we're gonna go with that this morning. Daniel was set apart, holy and blameless in God's sight and in this culture because he carried a beautiful Spirit, a beautiful spirit. Do you carry a beautiful spirit? You do. Because we carry, we carry the spirit of Christ. And Daniel wouldn't have known that at the time. He wouldn't be able to put language to it, but us seeing kind of the, the fullness of, the, of what's revealed in scripture, we see that this beautiful spirit, the spirit of God is the spirit of Christ. And it's beautiful. We think about Jesus, Jesus, you know, who king of all kings, yet self-described himself as lowly and humble. Revelation says that Jesus comes in the ministry and the power and authority of a lion, but in the manner of a lamb. Jesus touching lepers, gathering children together, Jesus, who so carried a sense of shalom and peace that storms had to be quiet in his presence. Beautiful spirit. It's the spirit of Jesus. And that spirit of Jesus, that beautiful spirit was on Daniel and it completely set him apart. There's an invitation here. There's an invitation for you and I who know Jesus who have invited Jesus to be uh, Lord and King of our life, who have received the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of God with us. And we carry the spirit of Jesus. 
What makes you holy is not your perfect behavior. What makes you holy is the presence of Jesus in your life. He is the holy one. He is the flame that we carry on our torch. We're not carrying ourselves to the world. We're carrying Jesus to the world. He, his is the beautiful spirit. And, you know, uh, you see it described a little bit more here um, with Daniel and some of his behaviors. When we carry the spirit of Jesus, the beautiful spirit of Jesus, it begins to transform us. It changes us. Now, he's described by his enemies, by the way, who didn't like him, but they couldn't argue with the things they saw in his life. Um, it says that, that uh, in verse four, that he had no corruption, meaning that he was completely honest. He was a truthful person, a man of integrity. It says that, that uh, he was trustworthy, that he was faithful, steadfast, consistent. He was obedient. You see that, that he was um, neither corrupt nor negligent, that idea of, of being remiss or offensive or lacking care. No, he was a, care, a, a man full of care. He was a caring person truthful, integrity, faithfulness, obedience, and caring for people. These are the outworkings of the spirit, the beautiful spirit that was at work in him. And, um, you know, as these, these, these guys came along, I guess it was just kind of professional jealousy. It's like, you know, they wanted promotion. They wanted the praise of man. They wanted more money. You know, they wanted the, the position and everything. Daniel didn't really care about any of that. Constantly through the book of Daniel, he's like turning down. He's like, I don't care. You can give me the whole kingdom. I, you know, I'm not looking for that. These men were looking for that. They're living for a different kingdom, the kingdom of the world. Um, and Daniel was in the way of their pursuits. So there's this, this jealousy. There's this, this, this longing. And, but what they saw, and they're like, hey, we can't find any problem with his character. So the only thing that we can kind of trap him in is, is I know that he will obey his God no matter what. He's going to obey his God no matter what. And so we've got to maybe juxtapose obeying the king versus obeying his God. And then he's going to obey his God. He's going to disobey the king and then we'll have him. You know, so that's kind of their, their plan and, and, and how to trap him because they knew he was a godly man. He knew he was a God-fearing man. He feared God more than he feared man, all right? So he's set, set apart in his reverence for God. And you read throughout the book of Daniel, whenever people, everybody's coming into contact with Daniel, like Nebuchadnezzar particularly and some of the other kings, you know, it's just like they encounter God. And the end of each chapter, it's like somebody's praising God because they encountered something through Daniel or Shadrach and Abednego. And this is the picture of this holy set apart life that is godly. Now, I want to differentiate for you just for a moment here, the difference between being ambitious to be a good person or a gifted person and a godly person. You know, a good person is someone who seeks to be moral. They want to do the right things. That's great. We want to do all the right things, be, be all of the right things. But the problem is when our ambition is to be a good person, and um, then, then when people look at your goodness, they see you. And they honor you for your righteousness until you're not righteous, because none of us are righteous and we all fall short. And then all of a sudden you're not good anymore. There's people that are gifted people, just people that have you know, exceptional qualities, 
you know, and they're, they're really gifted and you're just, and, and we're like, wow, you know, you, you can sing or you're smart with numbers and you, you, can, you can do these things, you know, and you're such you're the gifted person. But when you see the gift, you see the gifted person. Our culture is enamored with gifts. Have you noticed this? For years, we're just enamored with the, uh, the, the gifted superstar, but it's all about human glory. You see the difference between a good person and a gifted person and a godly person with a good and a gifted person, you just see the person. But when you see a godly person, they get out of the way and you see God through their life. I want to live a life where people experience God in me. They're not just impressed with Fred. They're not just impressed with, with, with people or, or kind of what we're about or Antioch as a name. No, when people come into contact with us, they experience God. That's the kind of set apart holy life that he's calling us to. Godliness. Do you know anybody with a beautiful spirit? Do you know somebody, man, just like, wow, they are carrying something and it just seems like Jesus. I want to just honor your pastor here for a moment. And as you know, as I've gotten to know Travis um, um, through the years, uh, really actually early on in this time in this roundtable experience, I just noticed he just stood out as someone who was slow to speak, quick to listen, and full of faith and wisdom. And man, if I've gotten to know him through the years, there's just a, a purity about his spirit that is just awesome. And I just want to honor him before you in that, that that's been my experience of him. I, I talked about my wife. I mean, she's the most beautiful person I know. I see her in, I, inside and out, every part of her life and her faithfulness. One other guy I want to kind of talk about to, today is a guy named um, CJ. Okay, so CJ's been a part of our church for about eight years now. And CJ came to our church right off right out of prison. CJ in the late 90s committed murder and was incarcerated for 20 years. He was married, um, had a, a wife who was an unbeliever. And when we started the church in Houston, um, one of the guys in our church worked in her bank and ended up leading her to Jesus. And so she came to Jesus and she started getting involved in our church. And we started getting uh, connected with CJ in the prison and we'd write letters to him and connect with him. And he came up for parole in 2015. And I wrote a letter uh, to him and said, Hey, I don't know CJ, but I know his wife, Rita. And I know, I know our church and I know he'll be loved if he stepped out of this. So sure enough, he stepped right into our church, you know, um, all tatted up, checking us out. And he, he had come to Christ um, in, in the prison, radically transformed guy, but wasn't kind of sure what he was going to step into. But he jumped into our church, gave himself to, to the community. And a couple of years later, um, there were all kinds of prison ministries that were coming after CJ. They want him to come tell the story. They want him to come work for their prison ministry. So I just kind of pitched it to him one day and I said, CJ, what do you think about starting an Antioch prison ministry? That would mean that you would have to, to jump in, um, uh, uh, do our training school, raise support. We don't have a salary we can give you right now, but raise support and uh, we'll commission you and get behind you and resource you and our church will get behind uh, this ministry. And so he did it and he took the low road, you know, to uh, rather than kind of going for the big, the, the, the big platform right away. And so he, he did this and we launched him out to start our prison ministry in January of 2020, literally two months before 
COVID started. And what we found during the season is amazing is um, we, we found that, you know, in our own, in our church, um, you know, when people went into confinement, a lot of people lost community and a lot of people drifted away. But at the same time, as we started reaching out to people who were in confinement, they started finding community. And we lost 10 life groups as a church during the COVID season, but we started 10 in the prison during the picture. And so here's a picture of your Antioch brothers and sisters who are life group leaders in Darrington Prison in Houston. And this is our pastoral team. That's CJ in the Astros uh, jersey right down there uh, in the left. And this is our, um, these are our life group leaders that lead 12 life groups in the prisons. They saw 60 people come to Christ uh, this last year. And I say this to say, man, if you're around CJ, it's just a contagious spirit of faith and joy. And this guy is an ex-con. He is a murderer and he carries a beautiful spirit. And it's contagious. And he is going back into the hardest of hard criminals. I mean, I could show you pictures of, of him baptizing men in their handcuffs because they're in segregation. And they're the worst of the worst criminals. But he's taking the torch there. He's coming with a different spirit and people's lives are being transformed. That's what God's called us to. He's called us to carry this beautiful spirit, carry it like a torch into a dark world. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. See, there it is again. See your good deeds, but as a result, glorify God in heaven. And I love these images here. We get this picture of salt and I heard this explained a few weeks ago in a fresh way for me, this idea of being salt in the world. Now, you and I, we use salt um, to flavor things. And sometimes we read that and we think, okay, well, I need to be salt. I need to be like flavorful. Like, what does that mean? You know, but see, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about in this day and age, salt was a preservative. They put salt on, on foods because they wouldn't, so they wouldn't spoil. They didn't have Tupperware fridges, you know. So they had to have salt on it. So it was a preservative. So what Jesus is saying here is I wanna send you church carrying this beautiful spirit, carrying this torch. I wanna send you out into places that would spoil and rot if you weren't there. God has positioned us here in this room to be in the world as salt. And there's places and spheres about uh, in, in, that you're involved with that if you weren't there, it would spoil. Think about um, the story of Abraham in the Old Testament when he's praying for Sodom, very godless place. And he's saying, God, spare this place. If there's 20 righteous people there, spare it. And he said, God said, I will. If there's 10 righteous, will you spare it? Yes, I will. If there's five righteous, will you spare it? Yes, I, yes, I will. But he ended up not sparing it because there were no righteous people there. You see, it may be you who is preserving the life and the hope of the kingdom of God in the place that you've been situated. We need to be in the world. Um, God has called us to be light in the world. He's called us to be light. The darkness, darkness is the absence of light. And we are called to be in it and not of the world. Daniel was not a full-time prophet. Daniel was not spending all of his times with, with the other Jewish people, although I'm sure he had a Jewish community. He was in the world. He was in politics. He was in government, you know? And so, and he was living different from the world. Where are you in the world? 
Where has God positioned you? I work for a church. So I'm around believers all the time, feel definitely a calling right there. But my kids are in sporting activities and I help, help coach my, 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 my son's baseball team. And man, it is a mission field in Little League Baseball. Anybody agree with that? Any parents? Like, man, there's some attitudes that, are, that, uh, that, that, that needs a beautiful spirit, <laughs> you know, uh, present there, you know. And, and so God has called us and positioned us uniquely to be into the world. How do you relate to the world around you? How do you relate to the unbelieving world around you? There's a couple options. For many of us, when we're kind of saturated in the world, maybe you grew up this way, you were kind of maybe in the church, but also kind of in the world, and, and you in and, and, and our spirit, we kind of fold. We compromise. We become like the world because we actually love the world. And part of this journey of carrying the Holy Spirit is, 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 is God taking us out of the world, giving us new loves, a new purpose, new ambitions. So we can fold or we can flee. We can just like, man, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm out of here, you know? Like, like let's just go buy a, buy a ranch somewhere. I'm just gonna go live in the country, you know, and just kind of get away, you know, from people, you know, and this culture. We can just run away. We can flee. And there's others of you, you're not, you're not folding, you're not fleeing, but you are fighting. You are the cultural warrior. And man, we need to advance the righteousness in this land and we need to get it straight. And so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get on social media. We're going to get in our platforms and we're going to make sure people have the truth. Because if we get the truth, then we can save this land, you know? And so you're a warrior and you're fighting. God is not calling us to fold, flee, or fight. He's calling us to farm. To farm. Those who carry a beautiful spirit are farming in this culture. Look at this scripture in Isaiah 2.4. It says, uh, this prophecy of those who will come with the kingdom, they will, bear, uh, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Okay, so they're gonna take their weapons of warfare and they're gonna transform them into farming instruments. What God has called you and I to do is to not fold to the world around us, flee or fight. He's called us to just sow seeds of the kingdom, sow the seeds of life, sow the seeds of love to carry a beautiful spirit and where we can sow life and those seeds will bear fruit. Carrying a beautiful spirit. When we carry a beautiful spirit in the world, we can expect two things. You can expect some people to be attracted to your life because they're attracted to God. But you can also expect that there will be some people who will oppose you. And the scripture even says, hate you. Are you living such a holy life in Christ? And I'm not just saying perfect behavior. I'm talking about carrying the presence of God, carrying the presence of Jesus in such a way that there are some people who hate you? Now, no one's looking for that. It's not like, yeah, I'm trying to live a life that people would hate me. You know, no, one, no one's seeking that. But Jesus said this. 
He said in John 15, 19, he said, if you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. If you belong to the world, the world's gonna love you. As it is, you don't belong to the world, you're holy, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. You see, for some of us, it's like, um, you know, there's, there's people in our lives that, you know, may love us like the king, Darius, loved Daniel, you know, attracted to him because there was something of God. But then there's other people that are resisting God. If you're carrying God to the world, there's some people who don't want God. And if they don't want God, they're not gonna want you. And we have to prepare ourselves for that. And God is calling us to be people who respond in the opposite spirit. The beautiful spirit, the different spirit is a, the opposite spirit of the world. And, and God just continually comes back to this issue whenever you're just kind of puzzled by things that people do and people, things that people say. And we either just want to ignore it and flee. We want to comp compromise and just people please. Or we want to fight them and debate them and prove we're right. But, but God is calling us to operate in a different spirit, the opposite spirit. You see that with Daniel, um, with this. And, and uh, so years ago, um, I spent uh, three years um, waiting tables. Any, any, anybody wait tables in here before? Kind of, okay, bless you, my brothers and sisters, right? I think everybody should wait tables or teach kindergarten, you know, and just kind of learn, <laughs> learn how to be, learn how to be ignored or, or mistreated. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I started working for uh, the Olive Garden uh, uh, before I got married. And um, uh, uh, it was just a different environment. I learned really quick that in the restaurant business, there is an attitude and a resentment toward Sunday afternoon lunch. Did I get amen from my waiter friends? Is that true? Yeah, that's true. There, there's a resentment. They're like, they're the worst tippers. They're rude. And there's just kind of this antagonism toward uh, Christians. And I was working with this one lady and her, her name was actually Sunday, okay? And it was an older, uh, an older middle-aged woman here. And she was just um, very happy to make her opinions known to everyone all the time. And so before, uh, before shift one day, several of the, the um, uh, you know, uh, waiters are, are, are eating and, and we're kind of visiting. And she kind of goes on one of her rants about terrible tipping on, on Sundays and just goes off on Christians. And, you know, I don't know these Christians in this, this city and just they're, you know, just they're so hypocritical. And, and hey, Fred, you're a Christian, aren't you? You know, I, I bet you're a virgin too, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and she starts mocking me. She starts like ridiculing me and, and just, and just kind of going off on this. And it was just like, I, I didn't even say anything. And I'm here, I'm being publicly like shamed for this. And, and it kind of, it kind of disturbed me, you know, and you kind of get rised up in, in, in that moment, kept my mouth shut, praise God. And after we went to pray and then the Lord starts tapping on me, respond opposite spirit to Sunday, respond in opposite spirit. So I'm like, okay, Sunday. Respond opposite. I'm just going to smile at her when she's, we're on the same shift. I'm going to befriend her. I'm going to be kind to her. I'm going to, I'm going to come up with an encouragement for her every day. And, and most days I'm doing that. She's just blowing me off. She's just like, you know, kind of get, get away from me. You're, you know, annoying me. Right. And then one day I noticed, and she's real quiet, unusual. And I go up to her and say, Hey, you doing all right today? And, and all of a sudden she starts weeping and throws her arms around me and starts crying. And she's like, my sister just got diagnosed with cancer. 
and they don't give her long to live. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I said, well, hey, let's, let's talk about, let's, let's finish our shift and then let's talk about it. We sat down, we talked about it um, afterwards and just started sharing the goodness of God and hope and just a prayer journey and how to turn to God in crisis like this. She came to church with me the next Sunday, a couple weeks later, gave her life uh, to Jesus, you know, and we just contending every time we shared a shift together, praying for, for her. And all of a sudden this sowing in the opposite spirit, you see, the world will oppose you because they're opposing God, but when trial hits their life, people are not looking for someone like them. They're looking for a holy man. They're looking for a holy woman. They're looking for someone who carries a different, beautiful spirit. So let's just be those people responding in the opposite spirit. Let me close here with just a few thoughts on how to cultivate this, uh, this beautiful spirit. Um, so, uh, these enemies of Daniel, um, uh, devised this plan to, um, to convince the king to pass a decree that said, um, no one could pray to their God for this amount of days. And they knew that would trap Daniel because they knew he was a man of prayer. And sure enough, in, in, uh, Daniel 6.10, it says this. Now, when Daniel had learned that the decree had been published, he immediately went home to his upstairs room where the window was open toward Jerusalem. And three times he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. He just kept doing what he had done before because the place where Daniel was cultivating a beautiful spirit was in the private place. It was in the place, I mean, Thanksgiving would help. He was giving thanks. Good week to start practicing that attentiveness to the goodness of God in his life cultivates a, 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 a beautiful spirit. Communion, prayer, he's just relating with God. But I love this, this, little, this idea that, that every time he prayed, he opened the windows toward Jerusalem. I wonder why he did that. He's, I mean, he's probably praying for Jerusalem. He's praying for his people. He's praying for restoration of his people. Um, but he's, I also think he's opening up um, his windows toward Jerusalem because in Jerusalem was the temple and the temple was the presence of God. And Daniel, as he is coming into prayer, is wanting to face the presence of God, the direction of where God is. And man, that I believe is the absolute centerpiece to carry this beautiful spirit. We have to behold it in Jesus spending time with him. You see, we're supposed to carry this torch, but it, 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 you know, there's lots of wind you know, blowing it out and we gotta keep it lit. And where are we keeping it lit? We gotta go to the source of the eternal flame, the, the one whose flame doesn't go out. It's just Jesus and it's beholding him. And, and uh, I love this phrase heard years ago, you will become what you behold. If we wanna carry a beautiful spirit, we have to gaze upon the beautiful spirit. And so here as we, we close here, I want us to just see this beautiful spirit of Jesus that Daniel, I think, got a hold of, um, that this beautiful spirit came with the confidence that there was a God who would stand with him in the midst of lions. And just let me read through this end of this story and Daniel in the lion's den and share a few thoughts to close. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him in the lion's den. 
And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not change. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating or without any entertainment being brought to him. And he couldn't sleep. And at first light, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the lion's den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, whom you serve continually, um, uh, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story of God's deliverance. Amazing story of trusting God. I mean, think about standing before vicious lions. What are these lions? What is this lion's den? This lion's den um, represents judgment. He was being thrown in there as punishment for his crimes. And really throughout in scripture, this idea of lions represents judgment. It represents being, being judged. And now Daniel says before the king, it's like, hey, I've, I've been innocent. I've done nothing wrong to you. But could Daniel honestly say that he had done nothing wrong before God? In chapter nine of Daniel, he's confessing his sin, his idolatry. We know that Daniel did not see himself as a perfect person. He was not perfectly righteous. And he may have been innocent before the king, but he was not innocent before God. And yet God sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Now you think, wow, cool. I'd love to have an angel shutting trials off in my life, you know, but what is this angel? It, God didn't send a angel, an angel. It says he sent the angel, his angel. And you study this throughout the Old Testament, that there's these pictures of when, when God sends his angel, the angel of the Lord. And he actually speaks of God as if he is God. Many people look at this and they say, this is actually, this is actually a manifestation of God himself, maybe a manifestation of Jesus himself. This angel of the Lord is Jesus. Jesus standing in the lion's den. What is this story all about? The story of Daniel. Is this story of Daniel like, hey, be a really good person. And if you're a really good person, then bad things like lions devouring you won't happen to you. No, that's not what this out. This, this story is not about being a good moral person so bad things don't happen to you. That's not working for you, any of you, is it? Not for me. One, I'm not good enough. And two, when I am doing good, bad stuff still happens. No, no. This is a story about the revelation of Jesus Christ who would come. The revelation of one who would stand in the place of judgment with us. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out from Psalm 22, verse one. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And in verse 13 of that same chapter, it says, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. And when Jesus is hanging at the cross and he's crying out Psalm 22 and he's seeing and experiencing the lions tearing at him, seeking to devour him. Jesus, Jesus in the lion's den. Jesus was more holy and innocent than Daniel. Jesus was judged, but Jesus was judged by God and found innocent. Jesus was persecuted unjustly. Jesus was punished for crimes he didn't commit. Jesus was left for dead in a grave. Jesus had a stone rolled over the mouth of his tomb. But a difference between Jesus and Daniel, did you notice that? When Daniel came out of the lion's den, he had not a wound on him. But when Jesus came out of his tomb, he was full of scars. From the thorns on his head to the spear in his side, the lashes on his back, the nail scars in his hands and his feet. Jesus was scratched, torn apart, and devoured by lions. The judgment of God, the wrath poured out on our sins on our behalf onto Jesus. And he was torn up so that you and I, like Daniel, could walk free from the lions ourselves. God, Jesus Christ himself has shut the lion's mouth. And I just, I just felt like that was a word for us here this morning, that we're talking about holiness. We're talking about living, a, carrying a beautiful spirit. And there's many of you in here who's like, well, that's not me. Get to know me. And, and there's these voices in your mind, kind of maybe like these, these, these other jealous voices in Daniel's life that are just chirping and they're accusing and they're fault finding and it's just po poking at you and just saying, here's what's wrong with you. Here's what's wrong with you. Here's where you need to change. Shape up or ship out. This is, and there's this guilty conscience that you're carrying. And you're like, man, I'm not, I don't carry a beautiful spirit. I'm not innocent. And man, today, Jesus is wanting to shut the mouth of the lions in your life. The accusing voices that would say, this is not who you are, that you don't measure up. And he's wanting to restore innocence. He's wanting to set you free from a guilty conscience. What does it mean to carry a beautiful spirit? It's to, it's to gaze on the face of Jesus and to receive the gospel again into our life that you are loved. He declares innocence over your life, not by your behavior, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. He wears the scars. He wears the wounds from the wrath of God so that we don't have to. Amen.
Amen. Let's carry that spirit of grace, that spirit of love. Let's carry that into the world. Amen. Let's stand. If I could uh, invite some life group leaders, our ministry leaders, whoever you are, just to come forward. We're gonna respond here. And I want you to just, hey, let's not be hearers of the word. Let's be doers also. Maybe for some of you, God is, is, is stirring your faith to pray for those that you're gonna see this week in your family, in your work, People are gonna see as you go and you say, Lord, change and transform me. Remind me, Lord, help me to carry your beautiful spirit when I go. Responding in the opposite spirit. Some of you need to step out of the world. You're living in the world. You're just like the world. And God's calling us out of the world so that we can love the world. In the world, but not of it. Today, you need to lay some things down. Some of you need to engage. Some of you need to lay down your swords. You may just come up to the front and just say, okay, I'm, not, I'm gonna stop fighting. I'm gonna stop fighting the opposition in my life. I'm gonna just start responding in the opposite spirit. Specifically those who are struggling with accusation, who are carrying a guilty conscience. I just wanna invite you forward this morning. We're just asking the Holy Spirit to shut the mouth of the lions so that you can be free to love, to carry his life. So Lord, we thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for your word, Lord. And just pray, God, even as we respond here, that you would light us up. Light us up again with fresh vision, fresh faith, fresh revelation of who you are and your goodness and grace in our lives, Lord, that we might share it with others in need. We ask for that in Jesus' name.